iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Morning, everyone. We've had a really calm start to our new week. There have been no technical problems whatsoever. The communication has been fantastic. And welcome to all you adorable listeners to The Ruck. There's no point in pretending everything is going well, but I hope that you and your loved ones are safe and sound and that we can find all find some Christmas cheer later this week. And just an advance note, we will be back as usual next Monday the 28th. We never missed a week through any of the 67 lockdowns and we'll be with you all the way through. I suggest now we cheer ourselves up by having a whiz through rugby. Our favourite sport has always been one of the great distractions when things are tough. Gathered together this morning is what can only be described as one of the greatest panels we've ever had since last week. Lawrence Delalio, Stuart Barnes and fighting these days out of Yorkshire, Chris Jones. And straight in, Stuart you summed up the weekend of rugby that we've just had. Uh, you summed up Saturday is Super Saturday, but you described it as a whole weekend of salvation. Tell us more. I call it salvation because I just think the mood in the nation and around the world is just so grim at the moment. It was horrendous Saturday morning. We had the Exeter game off against Toulouse. Toulon's game with the Scarlets was off. And you just thought, can it get any worse? And... What we saw Saturday was 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 quite miraculous. I start with Clement because for half an hour they were super. For the next 50 minutes they were as stupid as only Clement can be. But the way Munster fought back, that was a game 10 years from now. Uh, Munster fans certainly, but a lot of rugby fans will remember. But for me, I called it salvation rather than super Saturday because... Everyone must have been worried, especially the officials of uh, European rugby, that Gloucester and Ulster, both beaten in their first round, were just throwing the towel uh, at King's home. They produced um, a scrappy but epic game with Ulster fighting back from 10 points down, Gloucester coming back and the fist pumping of Alex King at the end. As I thought, I don't believe he could have celebrated any more than when he was Lawrence's fly half and Waswell winning the whole tournament. And for that, I give huge credit to both those teams. It was an amazing weekend of rugby. But, but okay, Lawrence, just uh, first of all, I gather that uh, you'll be in our living rooms for another three years of BT Sports New Deal. Good news for the game, good news for yourselves, and um, has put some doubts to bed. Yeah, I mean, the announcement of um, 
of the BT Sport deal for the remainder of this season that's just started in another three years is terrific news, really, because uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in uh, in the game of rugby at the moment. There's a lot of uncertainty across the world. And, and uh, you know, there's no doubt that they've been a, a, a very good partner for Premier Rugby. Um, there was obviously uh, some thoughts that, that maybe the deal was going elsewhere. But, um, you know, I think that's... I'd like to think common sense has prevailed because I'm not sure there were any necessarily any other legitimate suitors uh, to take that deal forward. I'm pretty sure it'll be the last of that particular type of deal where a um, a fee is paid by by a broadcaster to a, to a rights holder in the same sort of fashion as has happened traditionally. I think the model of uh, of how we consume our our sports and in our case our rugby is is got to change. I still can't quite understand how, as a lover of of rugby, I. I can't pay one fee and tune into every single game of rugby across the world, but I'm sure we'll we'll get to that model. But yes, it, it was uh, it was fantastic news. So um, I'm sure we'll do everything we possibly can to try and innovate uh, and move the game forward uh, to try and make it a better experience. And I think part of that is is the um, administrators, the coaches, the players, you know, who, who play a huge part in that as well. And what 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 really interested me is that rugby's taken a bit of a bashing over the last six or seven weeks, quite understandably, for being. Um, you know, very boring, very predictable, not a great watch, particularly at international level in the Autumn Nations Cup, ball being kicked up in the air. And when it's so hard to get the ball back again, why you quite want to kick the ball away at every opportunity, I, I don't really understand. But this competition, the European Heineken Champions Cup, never lets us down. And even with four games COVID cancelled across the weekend, we had some absolute, you know, humdingers, some absolute crackers, and it kind of reinvigorated how wonderful the game of rugby can be when you've got two teams that just really want to go for it. Sure. I uh, I hope things don't move on too quickly in broadcasting because it's taken me an hour to turn my laptop on just to join the podcast this morning. But um, Chris, uh, first of all, I just want to ask you some, uh, about last night's events, the BBC Sports Personality of the Year. Now, allegedly, some people think it's a shockingly smug, schmaltzy, politically correct send-up and basically a, p- a pile of cow droppings. What about yourself? You've always been a huge fan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Look, it's, it's, it's about as relevant uh, at the moment as Mrs Brown's boys is to comedy. You know, it, I don't think you should be allowed to vote for sports personality unless you can show that you have contracts with BT Sports, Sky, ESP, Amazon, all of domestic channels, so you can actually see all this sport. Because, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're voting on, from the, watching the BBC... I mean, what are you going to be voting they on? They don't have any, yeah. They haven't got any sports. So I think it's past itself, I think. Also, calling it the personality, what happens if the best sportsman of the year has got the personality of a doormat? Do you rule him out because he hasn't got a personality? I mean, Lowell's just been talking about uh, all the different uh, rugby on different channels. We've moved on, but the BBC hasn't because it's clinging on to this belief that if they keep on having BBC Sports Personality of the Year, they will be sport relevant. And we know that for financial reasons, they can't be. I agree with that. There's one thing they did get right. That was the, the uh, Unsung Hero Awards, which went to the late Sergeant Matt Rattano, who was murdered in the line of duty. Great man of East Grinstead Rugby Club. And uh, long may his memory uh, remain. Uh, Stuart uh, Lawrence was just saying then that basically Europe has, has, has saved the season in, in, in more ways than one. Where has that come from? I mean, did all the teams get together and suddenly start playing attacking rugby? Or is there something in the laws that's changed? Well, I mean, I think it's something in the laws that's changed. But suddenly the game is taking a new gear. Uh, international rugby, especially in, in this hemisphere, 
has been very largely driven by the negativity of the leading country. And that country is England. France, to their credit, have played it with slight difference in the variety. But England, Ireland, Wales, and to an extent Scotland have played to the, they've danced to the English tune. And let's call it, you know, it's been the autumn of the ticking time bomb. And people say to me, can you stop using that phrase? But I think it is so important, the degree to which George Ford gave away the philosophy of Eddie Jones, that it is important. And I, I think what we've seen at club level, the clubs say throwing the bomb away and saying, OK, we'll have a bit of anarchy, but we'll play in a style where we will actually back ourselves positively. It's positive against negative. And I also think, Steve, there has to be, I think there must be an acknowledgement, I think, by the clubs of the general public's disaffection with what happened in November. I think there is. I think the international failed in that their duty was to try and rev the game up during this pandemic and they failed the clubs understand now the negativity of that tournament and they're saying come on let's go out and play some rugby and you know it's the way they've always played it eddie's right there are cyclical ways the game shifts but it's intrinsically the same sport and if you're accurate and if you're powerful and if you're cussed and you're determined you can win. And what we saw on Saturday in, in Clermont v Gloucester, we saw all of that in 80 minutes. And we also saw, to be honest, where Eddie Jones is right. If you don't kick the ball, Bristol nearly paid a price, Clermont did, then you can end up losing the game. So we saw Bristol yesterday, and you were saying, if you were a Bristol fan, probably for God's sake, kick it, which they never did. Chris, we'll come on to uh, the, the game you, you saw, uh, you covered for the Sunday Times, that the, the incredible game between uh, Munster and also Stuart's got some views on that, Munster and Claremont. But Lawrence, um, it all began on Friday. And I just want to get, uh, ask for your comment briefly on two words. And those words are Alfie and Barberi. Yeah, he's a phenomenal player, isn't he? He was definitely the star of the show. But I think the interesting thing that I saw out of that game, I mean, Lee Blackett, as, as we know, well-documented the job he's done uh, turning Wass around since... Um, Die Young left, but he had a number of choices for that. You know, he decided to to rest the likes of uh, Jack Willis, Dan Robson, and and uh, Joe Launchbury. And I think you know, he, one, he'll be very relieved that that uh, that decision paid off. But secondly, he could have taken the very easy option of playing Jimmy Gopeth at ten uh, and building the team around Jimmy. Uh, what he chose to do was put uh, the responsibility in in the young boys who have all come through the WAS Academy. He's 8, 9 and 10. Will Porter at 9, 22 years old. Charlie Atkinson at 10, 19 years old. And Alfie Barbary at 8, supposed to be at 2, but playing 8, uh, 20 years old. Another four or five WASP Academy players on the bench as well. I think it was a, a real kind of victory for those young younger players. And, and to have the likes of a Lima Sopawanga and a Jimmy Gopeth you know, outside them and learning with with their every experience and their every move was, was phenomenal. And and you know, it was as much about the performances of the of the nine and ten as it was about Alfie Barbary. But listen, mm. two, two tries, uh, a bonus. You know, the, the bonus point try, a couple of assists from Barbary. He's talked to Lee Blackett about playing in the centre as, <laughs> as, well, as well as playing number eight and uh, and and hooker. I mean, it, it, he's a phenomenal player. If you look at the way he's kind of constructed physically, he he does very much suit the game of rugby as, at the moment. You know, 
uh, talking about the way that, it, you know, the cyclical thing. And he's able to do the things that maybe we saw Billy Vunapola doing two or three years ago, where he actually breaks through tackles and offloads the ball either side of him. So, yeah, he's a phenomenal player. Um, Eddie Jones is, has already had a good look at him. And he just seems to enjoy his rugby and, and just be very fresh, very enthusiastic, very hungry, very confident young man. Loved his interview after the game. Look, you know, a joy to watch. And there's one or two of those little gems in every single club. Keep seeing them, you know, as, as, a, as we're popping up in both domestic and European rugby. And if they get the opportunity to play on a regular basis, doesn't matter what age they are. Yes, there's mistakes they're going to make, but they're a joy to watch. And, uh, you know, it's very exciting. And now puts Wasp in a... I don't think Wasp are in the same league as, as some of the teams that Stuart's mentioned. You know, Leinster, Racing, you know, Exeter, if they're able to qualify. But but Wasp are, are definitely uh, giving themselves and English rugby something to be a little bit cheerful about in this competition because I'm afraid to say that uh, there's not a lot else to be cheerful about given what's happened to the other clubs. Chris... Claremont came out brilliantly. They scored the, the fastest bonus point try for four points in the history of the competition, then fell flat on their faces. What are we looking at here? The most amazing Munster revival, or is there something rotten at the heart of Claremont that they can't take pressure? Well, what you have to understand is that that was their second successive home defeat. They'd lost to Montpellier in the, uh, in the top 14 in a game dominated by penalties where Montpellier, I was talking to Alex Lutzowski about this, Montpellier just decided to tackle and throw up a, a wall and wait for the, the penalties to be given away by Claremont. And you know, in that second half, where Munster played so very, very well, two yellow cards for Claremont. They lost all their, their sense of uh, understanding of the way they were playing. They lost their discipline. And you wonder, you know, after 23 minutes, if that fantastic crowd had been in that stadium, would they have forced them to keep playing the way they were playing. And would Munster have come back? There, there was no crowd. Munster slowly, just slowly started through J.J. Hanran, who kicked beautifully, started chipping away. And they also chipped away at the confidence of, of a team that was losing yeah. its discipline. And, you know, Josh Wichelis' first scrum, he was sent skywards. He was, he, he was an Apollo. Uh, and you know, he, he landed after that from Slimani. And then said, right, if that's you, you're going to do that to me, this is what I'm going to do to you. And by the end, Slimani was the one who was taken off and he continued to scrummage really strongly. And, and yeah, Graham Roundtree's forwards did a wonderful job in that, you know, because obviously CJ Stander was, was, was magnificent. Peter Marnie was, was, was Peter Marnie. He was in their faces all the time and they wouldn't go away. And it was almost like Clermont just couldn't believe this team wouldn't go away. Look, you've been beaten. You know, you're 19 points down. Will you please just get on the coach, go back to the airport and leave? But no, they won the second half 23-3. And it was one of those fantastic nights that will live long in the memory, both for Munster fans and for those of us who just love a really good European Heineken Cup story. It was a classic Heineken Cup, Stuart, just very briefly, because we want to move on. Um, I, I, think, I think we have now exposed something in, in Claremont, which comes up from time to time and, 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 and has cost them dearly. And it's something in the head, is it? Oh, definitely. I mean, even when they have the full crowd there, they can play for about half an hour and then mentally they just cannot keep going. And I think, you know, Lawrence will know what I'm saying here. You dominate a game and then you stop playing and the other team come back. Geez, it's bloody hard to shift the momentum. And it's hand with Clement a lot. And in Europe, they normally hang on and end up with the win. But the other team, a Munster or Leinster, have been getting bonus points. This time we saw it to the nth degree and, and it's cost them 
uh, hugely. I still think, by the way, I think their qualification chances were damaged. Uh, I don't think anyone picked it up by the fact that Munster went away, got a late try and stopped Clement getting two bonus points, four tries mm. and one for being within seven. And with Munster only getting uh, four points against Harlequins, I think that's quite important. You know, Munster on eight, Clement could have been on seven points. They're on six. It gives Munster breathing space. We always talk about Munster and their ability to eke out those bonus points. That's a big one, I think. The train is now approaching junction and platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We've already spoken about events at King's Home, and my God, you you just wish the shed had been full for it. I mean, I slightly disagree with what you said this morning, Stuart. I, I didn't think Ulster were unlucky. I think, mean, look, they could easily have won. I, I just think Gloucester, it, 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 the incredible thing in the, that dramatic final, you know, what, five minutes after the clock had died when they were made, they made that attack, it was frantic attacking, but actually it was also quite measured as well. And the way that they worked George Barton over, I thought, was, was, was very clever. Uh, I just think it was an absolute treat to, to be there. Whoever would have won, 38-34. There was a time when you would not have backed uh, at Ulster at 10-1. to 1. You, And then there was another time you wouldn't have backed Gloucester at 10-1. to 1. It was absolutely incredible. Just go, go on to yesterday. Uh, Lawrence, um, Harlequins, uh, Racing. We know Racing were a great side. But forty point forty nine points to seven, playing at uh, at home, and there were questions this morning in the papers uh, posed by Paul Gustard as to whether Harlequins actually wanted to be there, really, and there were questions about their commitment. Did did you share those? Well, it was a disappointing result for Harlequins, no matter, no matter which way you look at it. You know, off the back of losing in, in Munster in Thoman Park the week before, there seems to be something not quite right at Quinns. They, you know, they, they got beaten comfortably in the opening game by Exeter. OK, yeah, that happens to everyone at the moment. And then, you know, they steadied the ship with a, with a pretty emphatic couple of wins at uh, Northampton and Gloucester. But the worry that I would have if I was a Harlequins fan is, is that they're just shipping a lot of points at the moment. The defensively, I think they conceded what seven or eight tries yesterday, and they're averaging over four tries a game, even in the even in the matches that they're winning. And um, if you're Paul Gustard, who 
I believe, came from England as the uh, as the defense England's defensive coach. The first thing <laughs> that he, he needs to address is uh, is his area of, of expertise. Because I'm not suggesting it's easy when you go and take the top job. You know, there, there's a change and shift and roles, but there there appears to be a bit of a disconnect between the senior players and and what they're trying to do from the coaching staff and. And that's not me um, being mischievous. I just think that I can I can sense it. I can feel it. I don't think everything's quite right there at the minute. They're obviously he's trying to change the the squad and introduce younger players. But he, you need to do that, you know, slowly. Evolution, not not revolution. And uh, you know, if he wants to make sure that he keeps players like Marcus Smith, who you know has got to be uh, an obvious target for the likes of Leon and, and Bath, you know, he's going to have to do a lot more to, to demonstrate that they are a team that are capable of uh, competing at the, at the top of the table. So, uh, yeah, they've, they've definitely got huge amounts of work to do at, at Quinns and they, you feel like they've taken a, a couple of steps backwards in the, in the opening part of this season, I, I think, anyway. Sure. And again, even Sunday was a big newsworthy day. Connaught Bristol, we all know Connaught are tough, but they were tough as hell yesterday. Was that one of Bristol's better performances to come out of that with a, with a victory? Because it was arguably the hardest game of the weekend. Look, Pat Lamb knew exactly what he was getting into, didn't he? I mean, he, he created that problem for teams coming to Connaught. You, you, it's a horrible place to play because they won't go away. You know, it's, mm. it's just... They are fantastic in their insistence on making it as difficult as possible for you to play them. And, you know, they dig deep when other teams would just say, oh, you know, look at this, look at the, the team we're playing against. You know, we don't deserve to be on the same pitch as this. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they've hit above their weight for so long that it's become part of their raison d'etre. And, you know, Bristol knew that. And boy, you know, did, did they have to fight just to get what they, what they obviously were equipped to do. But they'll learn a hell of a lot for that. As you said, you know, maybe they got the balance slightly wrong and, and, you know, Bristol play the way they want to play. And good on them, you know, to keep going it that way. Just on that, Jones, I mean, the impact of the two Saracens players who are still very much Saracens players, they're on loan. Uh, Boy, boy, will Bristol be trying to, you know, unpick the the wording Mm. of that contract Mm. because the contribution up front of of Ben Earl um, has been massive. I hadn't really appreciated how good a player he is uh, until I've seen a lot more of him, uh, it, other than just the sort of 20-minute cameos that he was producing at Saracens. And Max Malins, you know, he he wasn't the necessarily the headline grabber, you know, yesterday's game. But sometimes rugby is just about doing the simple things right and uh, straightening uh, and giving the pass at the right time, you know, created a couple of try-scoring opportunities. And uh, I can totally understand why he is hot on the heels of Elliot Daly, uh, in terms of um, you know taking his place in in the England squad because uh, you know he's some player as well and I think if Bristol can can somehow find a way of of uh, of keeping those two players um, you know they've got huge opportunities to to move forward. Stuart, uh, just a last word on the weekend. Uh, Racing, uh, your favourites now? Yes, Racing because Toulouse have got to go to Exeter, so they've got a bit of work to do before they qualify. Racing now are in a great position, I think. Racing and Toulouse are equally powerful teams, um, but they have got a, a, a run for the quarterfinals. They've got a big French pack. We've seen big French pack for 10 years, but not big athletic ones. They're big, they're athletic, they know what they're doing. You know, I, I think their best scrum half wasn't playing yesterday and their best back wasn't playing in Vakatawa. So Finn Russell didn't have his nine and his mate outside him, and yet they were still supreme. Yeah. I know Harlequins were very poor. Um, it was a risible effort. But basically, I, I think Gustard says that, that after 20 minutes, you're 20-0 down. 
sometimes you look for excuses. Racine just ripped them apart. Yeah, the format of the competition is obviously very unique. Um, only four matches. And therefore, you know, with, with all the COVID cancellations, um, what we're unfortunately faced with is the, is the distinct possibility that with, with all the teams split into two pools, that we may not get the best eight teams in the quarterfinal. And, you know, there's a very real possibility that Exeter, the champions, you know, may not make it out of the, the, um, uh, the pool. Toulouse could even uh, not make it out of the pool. And that's a great shame, but I guess we should be grateful that we've even got a tournament going at the moment and, uh, uh, and that we're able to play games. I have to say, as much as I know that everything in rugby seems to be shifting towards the French at the moment, I wouldn't discount the likes of uh, Leinster. Leinster, for me, are still the team to beat in this competition. Um, mm. a, lot, a lot hinges on the fitness of one or two players at Leinster, but my word, have they got a squad now that is capable of, uh, of, uh, of, of winning this competition again. And obviously, they want to be the first to win the trophy for the fifth time. Um, and you know, I still feel that they will have a, a very big say on who wins this competition. The worrying thing is that the next round, the next two rounds are in only five weeks' time. We know what lockdown is, is, is doing and what a shambles it's created. And now all travel travel with a continent is barred. So we just have to hope for the best there because five weeks is an alarmingly short time. Chris, uh, Serene McGeekin said uh, in a little-known paper called The Telegraph yesterday that um, he felt that this year there would be an asterisk by the name of the winner. And by that, I think he meant that it is going to be a slightly in the realms of uh, not fantasy, but uh, good fortune as to whether you make it. Do you think that's fair? Do you think that this year there'll always be an asterisk by whoever wins it? Well, right across the board for all competitions at the moment, isn't it? I mean, if you look at that uh, awesome series, you know, we didn't have Fiji. There was one team who could have lifted our spirits, but they weren't in it. And they, they, they played one game and, and threw the ball around fantastically. So, yeah, any, any achievement at the moment has to have some kind of rider against it because we are in these ridiculously unprecedented times. And, you know, if we do have teams that the guys have mentioned who don't qualify for quarters, it, it is going to be, in many cases, non-rugby reasons. You know, if Exeter get, can't proper, properly defend their title because of COVID, then you've got to have that mentioned in any discussion about this year's champions because, you know, you can't just ignore that fact. They are being penalised for a pandemic. You have to notice that. You have to, you have to notify everybody of that. Just the last words, Stuart. Did, did, did we get it wrong in squeezing everything at the end to, into the end of last season, playing every single game and not leaving any breathing space for rearrangements? I think the French have it right for... Financial reasons, perhaps in England, we had to keep going. The French government made a decision for the sport. They chopped it early. It's given France time to have games cancelled and replayed. Uh, what we've done, we've squeezed the life out of the last year. We finished with, you know, eight hey, was pretty much an asterisk season, 2019-2020. The last season was not spectacular. We finished with empty crowds. But by going through that one, what we've done, we've guaranteed that this current one we're in will be squeezed. And that includes the Six Nations. It includes uh, the Premiership, the Pro 14, and probably, if it goes ahead, the Lions Tour as well. And that is a direct result of us playing way too long and having far too short a break. I can understand why they did it. 
But the reason, the, the, the net result is it has done damage to both seasons. Chris, uh, we're now going over to you as our, as our newsman because Lawrence was talking about Saracens there. There is news today about Saracens and the uh, RFU Championship, correct? Absolutely. We finally have a start date, March the 6th. They've uh, decided to put the teams into two conferences. So Conference A, just to run through them, uh, Saracens, Cornish Pirates, Amptill, Jersey, London Scottish and Hartbury. Conference B, uh, Ealing, Coventry, Nottingham, Bedford, uh, Doncaster and Richmond. Uh, and they, they've done this because, you know, they, they're trying to start, obviously. They're trying to get a season going. And, and they say it'll be home and away, 10 competition rounds. Uh, and they're, they're, they're saying March because they're giving them enough time to, to discover if the sports winter survival package funding will allow them to, to do the medical testing that is going to be required to get these massive stage because the, the clubs have said they don't want to return under adapted laws, quite right, because that, yeah, that, yeah, that's just not rugby as we know it. Uh, and so they're, they're pinning their hopes on, on enough money to, to, to test uh, for COVID. Uh, and obviously... Uh, the chances of possibly getting players vaccinated, etc. So we, we are in a situation where we do have a start date for teams that many of whom haven't started training properly yet. So suddenly they've all got to start kicking in for a March 6th start. I mean, is it worth it, Lol, to do that? To say March 6th? Or would you just say, look, abandon the whole bloody thing? There's lots of uh, lots of issues to, to be sorted out. The Premiership has also made a significant reorganisation within its senior administration by appointing Nigel Melville, former director of rugby at the RFU, to run rugby operations for, the, uh, for Premier Rugby. Melville will, uh, I believe, part of his remit is to, is to chair the league's investor board and their, and their rugby committee. Now, first of all, you, we, we have to ask ourselves, is, is the appointment a reflection of the incumbent CEO, Darren Childs, um, who has had a raft of of uh, of, of a catalogue, I guess, of issues uh, to deal with um, that possibly have maybe been outside of his own skill set. I mean, they'd be outside of the skill set of a lot of people, I guess. But um, one of the first jobs, and the reason why I'm talking about this, one of the first jobs that Melville will have to um, sort out is the perennial debate conversation issue around promotion and relegation from the Championship up to Premier to the Premier Rugby and. At no, at no time ever in the history of the game will it be more uh, controversial and contentious than 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 it currently could be right now with with the prospects of finding a way somehow of getting Saracens uh, and maybe one other club back into the Premiership. If the Championship can't be played, then they're going to have to do something, aren't they, to uh, to bring uh, three quarters of England's uh, international squad back up into the Premiership? And and what decision will they make? And and will it be allowed to go ahead? On that point. I think there has to be a league. If there's not a league, there's a farce. Rugby has looked stupid enough in the last 10, 15 years with its attempt to uh, ring-fence rugby. I'm not suggesting that a winning team should come up. I am suggesting that at the end of a season, there should be a playoff. So there is an opportunity, albeit Saracens this year, but in future, teams like Exeter... now. I hear Tony Rowe say it's different now. You know, we got a ring fence. It makes me sick because Tony Rowe doesn't know if there's a team 15 years down the line who could build and one day be Exeter. And it's not up to Tony Rowe or Bruce Craig or Darren Childs to say, closing the trap door. 
There has to be an opportunity. You have to be good enough to take it. But without that opportunity, Steve, then I think the game is diminished. And also, the great strength of French rugby throughout the years has been the power of their Ligue 2. The second division of French rugby helps the top, the elite, be so strong. And we should not try and waste away the second tier. We should be building it up. And anything else would be entirely the wrong direction. I totally agree with building up the second tier. There's some great old clubs in there and uh, they've been rejected by the RFU. I hope that Nigel, uh, who I really like and rate, hope he gets that back on track because how marvellous would it be if he just got have a proper um, competitive second division? Nigel Melvazin has got a huge job. Lawrence raised the question as to whether this is a reflection on Darren Childs. Well, he's been absolutely useless, so I presume, I presume it must be. It, it, it was a great week of rugby. Just going to ask the lads now for their god or goddess of the week. We'll start with Chris Jones uh, to put him under pressure. Chris, who's the absolute darling and the diamond of your week? To see his smiling face as he held up uh, the Claremont Mall, knowing that any moment the referee was going to whistle and say, turnover ball, Munster. CJ Stander had one of those games that you just want to get. Can I have the highlights reel, please? And can I just put that away? The kids are going to love this. He was absolutely fantastic. He's my god of the week. Blimey. That's the first donkey he's ever been god of the week, I think. Uh, Stuart. Scottish referee Mike Adamson. He was uh, in charge of Connacht versus Bristol. He talked to players, but only after he'd whistled to explain, not before chivying along. He didn't call anyone on matey first name terms. He went about the game refereeing the laws rather than acting as some conduit to make the game better in his own personal viewpoint. Mike Adamson, a referee who refereed and nothing more, my God of the Week. Great one. Uh, Lawrence, God of the Week. My God of the Week is a little bit one-eyed and biased, but it's a young man who plays for uh, for Wasps. Could be Alfie Barbary, um, scoring two tries and a, and a, a couple of assists, but it's not. Uh, could be Will Porter, who... Uh, made a couple of wonderful breaks and, and had a great game. My God of the Week is a young man called Charlie Atkinson, um, who mm. previously known to our listeners for uh, having his head taken off by Owen Farrell. And that's essentially what, what happens when you Google him. But now when you Google him, you'll see him produce a cameo uh, performance for a 19-year-old, scoring a try, uh, setting up a couple of others. And uh, as a young man playing in his first European game, uh, he's my God of the Week. This is Cracker. Mine is... Um... Uh, a Gloucester man. I've always liked the idea in the old days where Gloucester players could all walk to the ground from their homes. Now, that's a thing of the past, but Kieran Knight, their new tight head prop, is a local lad and he could walk to the ground. So he's an old-style Gloucester prop. He's a young lad. I thought he had an absolutely magnificent game, stuck it almost till the end. So I think that's four decent gods. From Lawrence Stewart... Chris Jones and I wish you all a really happy Christmas. Thank you for staying with us on the ruck. I hope we've uh, enlivened some of your weeks. Uh, I know it seems grim. One thing is certain, though, that um, we had indications this last weekend that rugby can still be one of the greatest attractions and the greatest sports. And um, I think when it emerges, it'll all come through and uh, regain its old position. Let's hope so. So keep safe over Christmas, everybody. We'll be back next Monday and we'll be with you right till the end of the season.
VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.